Good morning. The scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. If you're using the Bible provided for you, you can find the passage on page 981. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be, may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he asserted with me the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed he was ill, near to death. But God has mer had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I, sh I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Volta. Go ahead and keep your Bibles open to that text of Scripture. That's where we're going to uh, camp out for this morning. We only have a couple uh, sermons left in this series, uh, Recovering Relationships, that we've talked about in the fall here. After this, we're going to be going into uh, a short study on the book of Lamentations. So if you want to start reading ahead, uh, Lamentations, that would be helpful. And uh, we're looking forward to, to that uh, series as well. As we begin, I want you to think about your main uh, job or responsibility in life right now. Okay, so think about your job. Think about whatever is your main responsibility that you have, that you're currently uh, responsible for, you're doing, whether it be, uh, you know, caretaking or whatever the case may be. So where would you be in this current position that you find yourself either in a job or a current responsibility that you have, your overarching responsibility? Where would you be if, um, or where would you be without people sharing with you what they already knew about that? Okay? They are lost. That's a good response. So in a job situation, you know, uh, uh, how many times have you gone to someone else who's been there longer? Some of you said, how have we handled this? Or have you ever experienced this? What, what, you know, what, what, what do you think we should do here? Maybe it's a supervisor having a conversation to, or maybe a tenured employer or something like that. A parent, um, you know, have you ever talked to someone else, another parent, or maybe your parents, and said... You know, what did you do when all of your parenting plans seemed to not to work the way you thought that they were going to work? <laughs> have you had those conversations with other parents? Of course you have. Student, uh, maybe some of you are in, in class and maybe some high school students in here and you're thinking like, oh, okay, I signed up for this course and it's got this teacher in it. And you start asking other students, hey, how is this guy? 
how is this late? How, how are they as a teacher? Um, you know, what, what can we know about them? Or maybe you're retired, uh, and it's someone who thought of, uh, you know, leading up to retirement. Did you have a conversation with anyone that said who was already retired? How did you know when it was time? How did you know when it was the right time to retire? Or how did you plan for retirement? Uh, did you take the Social Security full benefits right away? Did you spread it out over? You know, did you take it early? Or, you know, have you ever asked those questions? Well, I'm sure all these questions, you know, we've all asked the these questions of other people. What's the point? Well, the point is, is that no matter what role we find ourselves in as like a coach, as a parent, as a teacher, supervisor, an advisor, manager, consultant, really all of those things, they get to the idea of this mentorship idea or uh, learning from other people or impacting and, and teaching other people. And we can learn through videos and books and observations at a distance. However, the most impactful lessons are learned by one person investing in the life of another person. And so this is what we're going to talk about, this, this recovering relationships in our lives of the importance of having people pouring into us and us pouring into other people. Mentorship. It's going to be a lot of what we talked about with discipleship in, in previous weeks with adult discipleship power. But I wanted to look at Paul's relationships here and say, in answer to this question, and here's the question I hope and the answer is this, is what, uh, how do we know what a good mentor looks like? Or in other words, we could ask it this way, what are some qualities of a good mentor? That, that's what we're going to look for. So this can go in two ways. You can apply this in one, that you want to be this type of mentor towards other people, but also you want to look for this in other people that are you're trying to seek and to learn from. And so we're going to talk about three qualities uh, over the course of the sermon. We're going to talk about that they're available, that they're uh, intentional, and they're positive. Those are the three qualities we're going to look at. And uh, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you that we can look at this text of Scripture here, and we can learn from this. And, and there's a lot about this text that there's just so many good things here. And what we're hoping to do, God, is with your favor and with your enablement is look at how, how you wired Paul and how you uh, used the Apostle Paul to impact other people. And, and we can just see that all throughout the New Testament. But Lord, we want to learn from that. And we pray that we would be people at the end of this, that we would be more open to asking people to pour into us and that we would be more willing and intentional about pouring into other people. And so uh, we're asking for your, your enablement as we go through this, uh, this sermon today. And I pray that we would only say the things that are true of your word and true of you. Uh, we want to be faithful to you and to your word. And we need your spirit to guide us in that. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. First of all, let's look at the first of all, that uh, good mentors are available. If, if you're looking for someone to pour into or you're looking for someone that is uh, going to influence you, there has to be availability here. And when you look at this scenario here, what's happening here is that Paul, he's in prison and uh, people are sending things to him. And so there was uh, a group of people that sent uh, a messenger by the name of Epaphroditus to, to supply the needs for Paul. Because in that day in Roman prisons, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in Roman prisons, uh, food and medical care and clothing, that was not provided by the prison, okay? So they provided the cell, and that was it, okay? And so anyone who was in uh, a Roman prison, they required or they needed uh, people, friends, 
relatives, associates, whatever, to send food and to send clothing, to send supplies uh, to them while they were in prison. And so when Epaphroditus shows up, he shows up with these gifts, and it was a welcome gift. And so he's the messenger that then uh, is going to be sent back. And then in the process of it, he gets very sick, and that's what he's referred to there. But he also refers to a person by the name of Timothy. Timothy is someone who uh, is more well-known in the Scriptures. Going back to Epaphroditus for a second, the only thing we know about Epaphroditus is this text right here. We don't know anything else about him. Going back to Timothy, we see that Timothy is... As someone who uh, links up with Paul in uh, Acts chapter 16, uh, when the book, uh, when the church at Philippi was being founded, they actually met before they got to the city of Philippi, and uh, he was a Christian that Paul, uh, people were speaking well of. He was a young man, showing great promise, and so he travels with Paul on his missionary journeys. And later on, there's going to be two books that are going to be written specifically to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And those are really books that are about uh, how to pastor a church or how a church should be put into order. And there were some things in the church of Ephesus where Paul was, he had left Timothy and put him in that position of authority over the church at Ephesus, and he's given instruction there. So these are the relationships that we have with Paul and Timothy and Paul and Epaphroditus. But one thing we see about Paul is that he was always available for people. We just see this all throughout his ministry here. And by what I mean by available is that here's the thing is that they look for people that are providentially placed uh, of which they can influence. So uh, they, they look for providentially placed people to influence. And Paul, he was constantly connecting with people. He was constantly developing people. He was constantly having relationships with people, bringing them into teams, leaving them in cities. He was always doing this. I mean, Titus is a a person. Uh, Silas is another person. Barnabas, Philemon, Onesimus, Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, Epaphras, uh, Lydia, uh, Stephanus, Fortunus, uh, Achaicus, uh, Aristus, Tychicus, Luke. The list goes on and on and on with the Apostle Paul. Here was someone who was always looking to connect with people, but not just to leverage a friendship. He was looking to influence them. He was looking for them to actually have an impact on his life as well. And we just see this beautiful thing of, of, of Paul and this relationship that he has with Timothy and if Epaphras here, Epaphroditus here, of he's available to them. He says, I send you Timothy soon that I may soon be cheered of news for you. I'm in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2. But notice this, he says, I have no one like him for who will be generally concerned for your welfare. This was just a, a, a wonderful connection that he had with Timothy. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But he had this wonderful connection with Timothy. But one other thing I want to note about this is that there are some differences here. Okay? There's differences between Timothy and Epaphroditus here. It, this isn't the same type of relationship. There's some marked differences even between uh, what we can allude to uh, from what little we know between Timothy and Epaphroditus. So the point is this, is that there's not just one type of connection that Paul was looking to. It wasn't one type of person that he had pigeonholed. It was anyone that God providentially placed in his path, he looked at it as an opportunity to influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing. And that's something that we should, we should model. We should model and we say, okay, God, who, is prov- who are you providentially placing in my life so that I may have an impact on it and, and who might have an impact on me for the gospel's sake? 
Some of those differences that I talked about, I mentioned briefly with Timothy and uh, Epaphroditus here, is that Timothy, it seems that he was a younger man. He calls him his son in the faith here. Now, that, wasn't, that didn't mean that he led him to the Lord because we know from Acts chapter 16 that he was, he was already a Christian when Paul connected with Christ. So he's referring to more in terms of, uh, of a relation of, of youth to someone who is senior. And we know that to be true because later on in his letter to 1 Timothy, what does Paul tell Timothy? He says, let no man despise his what? His youth, right? And so he's a younger man, and so we have this. But then in, in contrast with Epaphroditus, it seems that, again, the only thing we know about Epaphroditus is from right here, is the only thing is that it seems is it seems that he probably was at least Paul's age about his peer. How do I know that? He says he calls him my brother. He doesn't call him his son. He calls him my brother, right, in the text here. So we have Timothy, who was younger. We have Epaphroditus, who was older. Uh, Timothy appears to like to travel. Uh, he likes to be out there and energetic, and he's traveling with Paul, and he's going all over the place, and he's, he's taking assignments, and, and it's really good. Whereas, in contrast, Epaphroditus appears in this text to be more of a homebody. It says that he greatly longed for his home church. Paul says he longed for you, and he, he longed for the Philippians. He longed to be there. And it was almost in the, the word, it's actually almost homesick in many ways. And so we have Timothy who kind of loves, it seems that he loves to be in the traveling, in the thick of things, in the action, whereas Epaphroditus, he seems to be content with doing the mission, but he really longs to be at home. What's the point of this? The point of this is that Paul didn't just have one type of person that he was looking for to impact. He was looking to see whoever God providentially placed in his life that he could have an influence on and he could have that relationship with. And so he, uh, um, he, he was just grateful for whoever God put in his path. Now, I thought about this as like even the people who um, I have looked at in, in my life, the people who have, I've looked at in my life who have influenced me, um, they, they probably wouldn't have, they wouldn't say that they've gone out with an intention of mentoring me. Um, you know, so you've heard me talk about my friend, uh, Chris. Uh, he's a pastor down in Stillman Valley. He's you know, uh, 15, 16 years older than me or something like that. And so he's getting up there, okay, but uh, um, I tease him. But uh, he's, a, he's been a tremendous influence in my life. But he never really set out to mentor me. In fact, if I ever use that term around him, he kind of gets uncomfortable with it. I think he views himself as more of a peer than as a mentor. I think that's probably because he's just trying to stay young. But, um, but the point is, is that he really has been a mentor to me in many ways. I, I sent him a text uh, in, this week in preparation for this. I texted him. I said, hey, who are the top three mentors in your life? And it took him about four minutes, and he texted me back, and he says, oh, that's a great question. He says, Chip, that was a pastor he worked with for many years. He says, Joe Crawford, who was a seminary professor, who apparently gave uh, what gave Chris his very first seminary grade when he went back to, he left a, Chris left a, a career in chemistry and things like that and became a pastor. He went to seminary and his very first paper, this Joe Crawford guy gave him and the grade he got was a D minus. Um, yeah, and Chris wrote about that and he said, and he went and talked to a professor about it and uh, this Joe Crawford, uh, the, the impression that Chris got was that uh, 
Dr. Crawford thought he was actually being generous with the D minus. So, um, so that was another influential person. Um, and then Jim Jeffrey, he says, who taught uh, him his uh, system for scripture, scripture memory over 30 years ago. If you know Chris at all, you know he's got this, uh, this kind of really good scripture memory method that he's constantly working on, and he ties it to people and things. It's a beautiful thing. But he, this is where he taught. So these are the three people that mentored him. Now, why do I bring this up? Because of those three people... Um, I don't know any of them. I, I mean, I know Chip. Uh, I've met him just a, a couple of times. You know, we, we, I don't even know if you know who I am. I mean, we're friends on Facebook, but, you know, there we go. So uh, I don't, the other two guys, I don't know. I'm glad I didn't have Joe Crawford as a seminary professor, apparently. And uh, uh, Jim Jeffrey, I have no idea who that is. So the point is, of those three people, I've only met one, and it was a very brief interaction. I didn't know any of them. Two of the three would have no idea who I am. But they influenced someone greatly who influenced me, okay? You see, this is what this is about. This is about us influencing other people so then they can turn and influence other people. And this is Paul. He's looking at Timothy and Epaphroditus. I don't know all of the people who Timothy influenced. There was a lot of people because of his position. I don't know all the people who Epaphroditus influenced. I'm assuming it was some, a, a good amount of people. I don't know. But the point is this, is that when we're mentoring people, they're going to mentor other people. And we're continuing this chain. We're continuing this, 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 this um, the responsibility that God has given to us to pass on what we know. What we've learned and the things we've learned and the lessons we've learned. And again, a lot of this goes back to some of the discipleship stuff that we've talked about in recent weeks here. So don't, I guess what I'm saying is don't let the relay race stop with you. People have been available to you. Be available to other people. Look for people that God has providentially placed in your life and say, okay, how can I influence them for the gospel? How can I influence them in, in, in terms of knowing about Christ? And how can I encourage them in their spiritual walk? Look for people that God has providentially placed in your life and say, okay, what can I learn from them? That's one of the beautiful things about being part of a church is that there's providentially placed people right here, right around us. And so we're looking, who can influence my kids? Who can help me influence my kids? That's one of the things, I've said, shared it so many times before, I love being part of a church, is because I want my children to be influenced by other Christians, as well as not just hearing my voice all the time, or, or Anuk's voice. They need the body of Christ. So, look for providentially placed people uh, in your life that you can influ influence, and who or might be in your life who can influence you. And so, there's a circle, everyone has a circle of influence. Everyone does. And, and sometimes, you remember the Venn diagrams where there's overlapping? So in this room, if we were to map out our circle of influences, those circles would overlap in certain places. But there's also plenty of areas that you have people that you can influence that I will never meet. And I have people that I can influence that, I, that you will never meet. The first thing about a good mentor is that they're just available. They're looking for those providentially placed people and they're, and they're trying to, to, to carry on that relay race of, of discipleship, of sharing the gospel, sharing what they know about Christ. What does it mean to walk with Christ? Sharing what they know about the Bible. Sharing life lessons as well. Um, and, and it's important. It's important that we, we share those type of things. So the first good quality of mentors, a good mentor, is available. Secondly, is that they are intentional. 
okay? They're intentional. And we see this in, in some of how Paul is describing his relationship with Timothy and Epaphroditus. And what I mean by this is that they seek to transmit values as well as information, okay? So it's not just seeking to transmit information from person A to person B. It's values. It's what is important. It is life lessons and skills and, 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 and character traits those are the things that we should be seeking to, uh, to transmit. How do I know that? Look at what Paul says about Timothy. He says in verse 20, For I have no one like him who will, be, who will generally be concerned for your welfare. He goes on, They all seek their own interests, not those of, uh, of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. And so what Paul is celebrating here is he's celebrating the fact that Timothy shares his values. The values that are important to, to, to Paul, Timothy also has because he's been able to transmit those things. And, not, and he wasn't the sole uh, purpose for that. We know that Timothy had a godly mother and a godly grandmother. We know that from uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. But, but Paul was part of that, part of, of fortifying that in Timothy's life. And then he had the values of being concerned for other people of care for other people. This is what, what Paul was celebrating in Timothy's life, and he says, I'm going to send him to you because you know that he truly loves you. He sincerely loves you. He loves people because they're image bearers. And so that's one thing we want to pass on to the next generation. If uh, we want to pass on is that, that we need to just be genuinely, uh, genuinely concerned for people and caring for people. We don't want to just live in isolation where we're only concerned about our own family or our own situation. We can really think about beyond this and actually care for people and care what they're going through, be able to empathize with their situation, be able to, to empathize with their, uh, uh, the difficulty that they might be going through and reach out and see if you can bear that burden. This is why Galatians says we bear each other's burdens, right? So the point is, is what Paul is saying here. He says, I'm celebrating Timothy because he's, he, he has this concern. I have no one else like him. He says, no one else is, is available to me right now. He's in prison. And so he says, there's no one else that's in my uh, 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 area where I can send to you who has the same values and that he actually truly cares about people. But it wasn't that. He says, it's, and it's related, but he says that, that someone who seeks the interest of Christ above all else, seeks the interest of Christ above all else. This is something we want to transmit. We want to transmit to the next generation. I want to transmit to my children that this value that the interest of Jesus Christ go above any other interest. And if you're a Christ follower, you should want to transmit that as well. And I should not be content with only wanting to transmit it to Mia and Isaiah. I should want to be transmitting that to anyone that God has providentially placed into my path. And again, we're going to have different levels of relationships. And that's one of the beautiful things I see about the difference of Timothy and Epaphroditus is that you can tell that there wasn't the same type of relationship, but Paul was still transmitting values to them. Uh, so so for, for Timothy, it was just this genuine care for other people, prioritizing. And Paul wanted Timothy to continue that trend of intentionally uh, influencing other people. People. Remember 2 Timothy 2 too. What you've learned, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a long relay race that, that we're all part of. Okay? Um, and you know, and, and we're part of a church today because there's 168 years of intentional Christians who went before us here, okay? who wanted to transmit values. He wanted to transmit what it meant to put on a, a, a Christ to, or to, to have Christ's interest at, at, at heart here. 
Um, one of the things I love about our church and being as old as it is is that they kept records and they, and they wrote things down. And the other day I, I, I pulled from uh, a book. This is a, a, a group of, of minutes. Um, they called their annual their meetings a covenant meeting, which is actually kind of cool. Uh, when they would get together, they'd re- review the covenant. They would have their annual business meeting and things like this. This is from 1889. This is a picture from the book um, that I have in my office. February 16th, 1889. It says this, opened by singing and reading from the fourth chapter of James. 44 members present, all testifying to the goodness of God and asking the prayers of the brethren for more grace and love to God. I love that. And here we are, 168 years, well, not 168, you do the math between, from 1889, but uh, uh, my math isn't that fast. Um, but uh, this many years later, uh, you, we're still praying for more grace and praying uh, for a love to God. But we're standing on these shoulders, right? This is people who have, who have passed this on and passed this, this. They were mentors to other people and they were influencers and they, they just they share the interest of Christ above all else. I had to look at a more recent one. I chose one from 1981. This is a, from a deacon handbook. They, they kept minutes of their deacon meetings. This is May 28th, 1981. Bob Evenson. Recognize that name? He led in devotions. May 28th, 1981, Bob, what did you lead devotions on? Do you remember? <laughs> loneliness. He led devotions on loneliness. And then Bob Swenson was also present. He was tasked with leading devotions at their next, their, their next meeting. So you can ask Bob Swenson what he taught on the next meeting. I looked it up. It was financial stewardship. Um, why am I bringing this up? You know, it's easy to look at 1889 and say, oh, man. Yeah, that was great and everything. Well, we still have, we still have people that from 1981. They were teaching on things like how not to be lonely or, or to follow Christ. How to be wise with finances. You see, this is, this is, this is what we're talking about. We've got to have this availability. We've got to have this intentionality of what we're passing on from our generation to the next generation to the next generation. So the question I go back to in the beginning here was, where would you be without people teaching you what they knew? We all would just, we, we, we need people teaching us. And so you know something. You know something about God. You know something about the scriptures that other people need to learn. And yet you need to live out with other people. And you say, well, I haven't been a Christian that long and everything. It doesn't matter. I need to be reminded of the, and I'm going to use this word in it. I don't like it, but I, I, I need to be reminded of the simple truth of the gospel. Because when you start looking at the gospel, it's not very simple. It's actually just so multi-layered and so beautiful. You start studying the gospel and what it means. You start studying the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God and what it means to be obedient to God. It's like an onion. You start pulling layers off and it just keeps coming and keeps coming. And there's more and more there. I need you to be talking to me about what you're learning that because that's encouraging to me. And you need me talking uh, to you about what, uh, what I'm learning because that's encouraging to you. We have to be a church that does this. We have to be a church that passes on. And we've got, you know, records from 1889 and even earlier of, of things that they taught. What are they going to say about you? If they were taking notes, what are they going to say about you? Hey, they taught me this. This was important to them. This was the value that they transmitted. You say, well, I, I don't really have anyone close to my life. 
Go back to the first point of the sermon. We all have providentially placed people in our life that we can just latch on to and just encourage in some way, shape, or form. Okay, so good mentors, they're available, they're intentional, and we need to be very intentional with what we're transmitting to other people. So, yes, it's good to transmit life lessons like how to fix a car, but while you're doing that, also transmit why we have a good work ethic, why that's glorifying to God, right? Um, those are things that we need to pass on. So available, intentional, and then lastly, they're positive. Now, what do I mean by positive? Um, well, they celebrate those they influence and invite others to celebrate them as well. Okay? So they celebrate the people that they're influencing and that they also invite other people to as well. Um, now, this does not preclude negative criticism or saying, hey, you did something wrong or something like that. That's not the point. The point isn't that, you know, we only can be positive. But what I've found is that the best quality or the best mentors, that they're the ones that have actually been very encouraging. Okay? They, they've said, hey, you've done this and you've done it well. Here's some things you need to work on, but over here, but at the same time, I'm really happy to see this. Or you really should be grateful that this is happening. Or The, the, the point is, is that the, the, they're positive. Now, where do I get that from the text? That's most important, right? And here's, well, look at what was Paul celebrating? What was Paul celebrating about Paul, about, about Timothy, rather? He says, but you know, I'm in verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me as a gospel. He says, you know him. He's, he's proven. He, he, he's celebrating the maturity that he's seen in Timothy. He's celebrating that fact, and he's encouraging other people to as well. And what's the metric of this? What's the, well, you know, what, what metric did Paul use for this? You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says this, until I come, I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, he's writing to Timothy. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was, late, which was given to you uh, by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. He says, practice these things, devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by, do, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's saying keep a watch on yourself, on, on your life, and, your, and, and on the teaching, the teaching and the doctrines of the Scriptures. You know, is that impacting your life? Is that coming out in your obedience to the scriptures? Keep a close watch on this. He says, he says people should, you should be devoted to this. And he says, people should see your progress in this. So he's celebrating the metric in, back in Philippians. There's what he's saying. He's saying he's proof of worth. You've seen it. You've seen it. It's been obvious to you like he told Timothy it would be in First, First Timothy chapter 4. He says it's going to be obvious to people. They're going to see it. And here he's celebrating the fact that he knew that the Philippians, they would say yes. Timothy has proven worth because he's growing in Christ. With Epaphroditus, what is Paul celebrating with Epaphroditus? He's celebrating the fact that he was willing to uh, risk and to sacrifice himself in service of Jesus Christ. He says in verse um, uh, talking about his illness in, in verse uh, 27, then verse 28, he says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and what does he say? Honor such men. 
for he nearly died. He says, why should you honor him? Because he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete that which was lacking in your service to me. And if you're wondering what he means by that which was lacking in your service to me, he's not being pejorative towards the Philippians here. What he's saying, he says that they were not able to be there with him because he's in prison. Not all of them could be there. So he says, so what you're not able to do, your lack of ability to do, Epaphrodites made up for. You sent Epaphrodites, and he was your representative. That's what he means by that. So he's not criticizing the Philippians at all. He's just saying, you sent a really good person, but he said, you need to honor him because he was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to, to he was sick, and he was, he was uh, uh, almost near death because you, know, you think of uh, medical uh, availability during that time. You think of a long travel, the dangers and the traveling during that time. You think of, of all the things that he was probably dealing with. And what does he say? He says that he was faithful in what he did. And this is what Paul was celebrating here. So good mentors, they're the ones who are positive. They're the ones who so you're, you're trying to influence someone Sometimes it's easy to focus only on what they're not doing right. But let's take a cue from, from Paul here and say, we need to celebrate this, celebrate what we see people are doing in their growth, keep encouraging them. What we know from Paul's other writings is he was not shy at all about pointing out error, but he was celebrating. And there was someone that he would, he would encourage people to celebrate all the time. He often told people to celebrate. We see this in verse 29, honor such men. We see um, earlier in, in Thessalonians, in the letter to Thessalonians, there's three individuals that, um, that he mentions by name. And he says, give recognition to such men. Uh, we know of in Romans chapter 13 where it says, give honor to whom honor is due. Uh, Paul was constantly celebrating people, the very people that he was trying to influence for the gospel's sake. So we all need people in our life that will encourage us and to teach us and to lead us. And the reason why I chose mentorship for this, this sermon is because I hear a lot about mentoring. Um, and there, there's, there's a refrain, particularly in, in more the 20-year-old the, the, the and maybe even to the early 30s, but the 20-year-olds, a lot of them will say, I just need a mentor in life. I just need someone to mentor me. That's true. Um, and so what I'm trying to say is, well, what should you look for in a mentor? These are three qualities that I think are very, very important and that Paul had. But I will also say this. If you're one that says, well, I just need a mentor, that's good that you recognize that. Here's the caution that I'm going to give you. Please don't use the lack of a perceived mentor or a perceived lack of mentor in your life right now as an excuse to not move forward. Okay? We all need to be moving forward in our, our, our spiritual lives. We have the Bible. We have the Scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit if we're believers. And so we can progress so please don't say, well, I just don't have anyone, and allow that to just to stagnate your growth. Yes, you should be. Maybe, maybe you're going to find that if you start saying, okay, I'm going to try to influence other people, you're going to find that you're going to learn more along the way. I learned so much by teaching. Um, when you have to teach, and, a, and anyone who's a teacher, you'll understand this, that a lot of times you're learning a lot as you're going along teaching. So mentoring is so important. It's absolutely important. But who should be your mentor? And what should be the main lessons that you're looking for? This is not by any means saying that you don't have a business mentor or, you know, things like that. that that's not the point. Of course, there's, there's, there's definitely importance there. But 
Are you more concerned about having a mentor to teach you to be successful as a parent or successful as business than you are and being a follower of Jesus Christ? See, these are all about priorities because one, if you get the one taken care of, it's going to greatly influence the others. So what do we do? How do we have mentors in our life? We look for these three qualities from this text of Scripture here. And as we said, um, uh, the, the best mentors, they're available, they're intentional, and they're positive. So the question I wanted to bring as we're, we're going to be transitioning to the table here is, who are you mentoring? Uh, this is really what we've been talking about in discipleship. Who are you influencing? And are you available? Are you intentional? Are you positive? Have you made yourselves uh, available to those providentially placed people in your life? Are you celebrating other people's spiritual growth? Do you know about other people's spiritual growth? Get to know them. Spend time with them. Who are you asking to help you in your spiritual progress? You know, one of my goals is at the table each week is for us to celebrate what Christ is doing in our lives. And when we have a church that continually comes up to the table and says, we need God's grace, that is something to be celebrated. And that's exactly what we do here. We, we come to the table here every week. We're, we're looking to grow in our, our walk with Christ. Uh, that's hopefully one of the, re- the main reasons why we're here. We're here to worship Christ and grow in our relationship with him. And here at the table, we have this opportunity to make a, a statement. We have an opportunity to taste and, and feel and smell something as a reminder what, how God is at work in our life and what he has done for us and how we need his grace. And we get to do this together. We get to do this together as people who should be influencing one another here. As a church family, we should be constantly influencing each other to follow Christ. And we're going to have different levels of that, right? I, I, I get that. Not everyone's going to be really close. I understand that. That's fine. That's just the nature of relationships. But when we sing together, that has an impact. When, when everyone lifts their voices together, that encourages people's souls. And that has a, a positive impact. When we, when we speak of the truth, I was actually thinking in, of uh, when we were singing, um, what was the second song? Or the, we sung um, uh, Blessed Assurance, right? Yeah, we sang Blessed Assurance, and we were singing that. Um, I was standing next to Isaiah. I had my arm around him. And so I felt him. I looked over, and I saw Mia sitting there. And a thought went through my mind is, I remember singing this song next to my mom and next to my grandfather in church growing up. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I remember singing that with my family. And here I am with my kids singing the same song. And we're just continuing on the tradition. doesn't mean we can't sing new songs. We do them all the time. But it's beautiful to carry on those lessons and those, those values that, yes, the most blessed assurance that we can have is that Jesus is ours. And here at the table, we say Jesus is ours. Blessed assurance, Jesus is ours. And when you're singing that, you're influencing my kids. And when my kids are singing it, they're influencing you. It's just a wonderful thing to be part of a church.